Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. And as always, shout out to my executive producer, Andre Settles, Settle Solution Media, for helping to make this podcast possible. We have a great episode in store for you. I'm excited to introduce today our guest, award-winning author, mental health advocate, ultra marathon runner, and most importantly, dog mom. It is my pleasure to introduce Nita Sweeney. Nita, hey. Hi. Hi. It's really good to be here. I love the dog mom business. I, you're a dog dad, right? I am. Right? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I have my little pup in the other room. He's he's behaving. He knows this is podcast recording time, so he's on his best behavior. But I know the, the dog mom duties never end and the dog dad duties never end either. So we'll hop into this episode. And I love giving the guest and our audience an opportunity to get acquainted. So in your own words, I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, tell the audience who you are, what you do, and then we can unpack your story a little bit more. Great. Thank you. Well, I am Nita Sweeney, and I'm the award-winning author of two books. The first is Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink. And the second is a writing journal I co-authored with my editor at my publisher, Mango, Brenda Knight. And it's called You Should Be Writing. And it's more of a blank pages with author quotes and little tiny micro essays to just help people get their pen moving. Nice. Primarily, primarily, I'm a mental health advocate. And it's funny because that's not where I started. And that's not necessarily, I just wanted to be an author. I wanted to have a book with my name on it. And the story that I had to tell, you could call it a couch to marathon story. That's what I kind of thought I was writing, you know, middle-aged woman takes up running. But what I was actually writing was about a woman who was very chronically depressed, very, very anxious. And it was how she learned to run and by doing that saved her life. And so that's where the interest has been is in the mental health aspect. That's where I get the questions. That's where I mean, people want to know how to run. They want to know. And it is kind of like a little training plan, too, because it follows my journey. But they want to know about the mental health piece. So, yeah, mental health advocate. And then I'm also a certified meditation leader, which I'm not sure that was in my bio originally, but I teach meditation. I've been meditating for many, many years, and that's sort of in the book a little bit. And then uh, dog mom. But uh, this year I ran my first ultra marathon. And so I got to change my bio used to say three time marathoner. And now I get to say ultra marathoner. And I'm even, you know, signed up to run one this coming year too. So I've, uh, you know, down the Kool-Aid chugged. I didn't just drink the Kool-Aid. I chugged the (laughs) Kool-Aid. No more left, right? (laughs) (laughs) So the first question I had is, and because, I mean, when we talk about running, there are some people who listen to this podcast who might be listening on their run, which thank you all for supporting the podcast on your run. But there are also probably others who are thinking to themselves, I'm listening to this on the couch right now. There's no way I'm putting on those sneakers and going out to run a mile, let alone 26 of them, if not more. How did you, I guess, come about the idea to start running and nonetheless start running at age 49? I didn't mean to. It was sort of an accident. <laughs> I'd gone through a really, really rough time. I've had chronic depression for much of my adult life. I'm also bipolar, so I have kind of the mood swing thing. But I was in a really rough period 
we had this one year where all these people died. It just was crazy. All these people I loved. And my niece's cat died too. So it was my niece died. Her father died. It was just like on and on and on. And then at the end of the year, my mother died. And I don't know, you know, I mean, grief is rough and I already was depressed. And that just, it just drove me mostly to bed is what it did. But I was on social media and I saw this post by a high school friend. She was, I think, a year older than me. And I was much larger then than I am now. And she was about the same size as me. And neither of us had been athletic. And she posted, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. Hmm. And I really thought we needed to call someone and have them check on her. I mean, I really did. <laughs> there is, this is just no way. And so I watched that for a while. I didn't say anything to her. I just you know, gave her a, a heart or I think back then you can only do a thumbs up, but whatever. And I watched her. And she kept doing it. And she was doing Couch to 5K, which is an interval program. And eventually I got up the courage to look that up. And it said, and this is very important, 60 seconds of jogging. Now, it said a lot of other things, too. But that's what I saw. 60 seconds of jogging. I thought, I can probably jog for 60 seconds. And I swear, if it had said 90 seconds, or if it had said running, I probably would have just, you know, closed it back up and Mm -hmm. said, forget. But eventually, the winter turned to spring. And I decided, you know, I continued to get more and more depressed. And I decided I had to do something. And so I thought, well, if Kim can do this, at least I can try it. And so I leashed up the dog as a decoy, a yellow Labrador retriever, Morgan, very prominent in the book. And I leased him up because I didn't want the neighbors to think that I was trying to run at my age, at my weight, in my, you know, I probably had pink sweatpants on. I mean, I had no running, what I thought of as running gear. And we went down in this ravine and it's kind of hidden where the houses are on these long lots because it's a a floodplain. So the houses are way up high and it's down below so that nobody can really see you when you're down on the road that goes through the ravine. And I stood there for a long time. Oh, I also had a digital kitchen timer. So one of those little, you know, white little timers with the buttons. And I took that down there and I set it for 60 seconds until the dog finally looked at me sort of saying, why are we just standing here, mom? And then I hit the timer and I jogged for 60 seconds and I didn't die. And I don't know why that combination of things of having the courage to leave my house to, you know, put on, I think they were Velcro sneakers. (laughs) It really was sad. And Leash Up the Dog, all of that combined gave me this tiny sense of accomplishment. And then eventually the physical activity and the accomplishment worked together to, I did get out of the ravine, (laughs) (laughs) but it worked together. And it wasn't long before I started feeling different. I really started feeling more energy, less depressed. Yeah, it made a huge change, but that's how it started. My friend Kim, I really thought we were going to have to call for help for her. Yes. Running what? No, no. You're like, wait, wait, wait. Clearly that was a typo. (laughs) So I love the fact that I wrote down, I didn't die because so many times we psych ourselves out, right? By what we need to accomplish, what we have in front of us. And the task seems so grand. And we're, we're thinking, how do we eat this elephant? One bite at a time, which is when you send 60 seconds, had it said anything more or a little different, might've been too much to commit to right away. But yeah, the fact that where you mentioned, hey, 
I did it. I did the 60 seconds and I didn't die. So that's a sense of accomplishment, which maybe is why you come back a second time, third time, fourth time. What was the journey like as you kind of started getting more consistent with it? And you mentioned feeling better, having more energy. What kind of impact did like running end up having on your life over time and eventually your mental health? Well, eventually I joined a group. Well, eventually I went to my first race. My sister, who it was her daughter, was my niece that had died. And she, I made the mistake of telling her because for a long time I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my husband. I would run during the day when he was, I would jog during the day when he was at work. And I didn't tell him for, I think it was a couple months. And I finally told him. And, you know, he's been through it. We've been married 20 years. And he's been through all of the phases of need of trying to get better and working for a while and then not, you know, so he's very, he's not guarded, but he's kind of stoic naturally anyway. And so he was like, oh, that's great, honey. (laughs) But once I went to that first race, which was to raise money to research for the type of cancer that my niece died from, I saw this community that I did not know was out there. People of all shapes, sizes, colors, every kind of clothes you can imagine, kids, older people like me, you know, just everybody out there doing their thing. Some walking, some running, some, you know, really into it, really fast and speedy, like what you think of runner in the spandex and all that. And then other people back of the Packers, which is me, you know, just out there to get exercise. And that just opened a whole world. So eventually, as I continued to want to do more events, I joined a group. And that made a huge difference too. And that's become a huge community. The community is amazing. They really are just kind of amazing people there. You know, there's always kind of a few jerks, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, they are some of the most generous people I've ever met. And they've become a support community. I was very, very isolated. Depression and anxiety can really, really make you pull into your shell. I was so isolated. And I had other communities that I was in, but not like the runners. And so once I got in that community, I was able to do things that I hadn't, I don't know, thought I could do, show up places, be consistent about things. And all of that helped with my mental health because part of what depression does is it tells you you can't do anything. It tells you you're worthless, tells you you're lazy. Oh, you know, if you were a better person, it just has this whole series of voices. and. Just taking those actions, showing up with the support of these other people, it helped me see those. We talked about, well, it helped me see those things for what they were, which is lies mostly. So that was the big thing was just that it was just like this gradual coming out of my shell. The other thing I'll say is I like to print off. I always have a training plan and I like to print off the training plan and I tape it to the end of my bookcase. And there's something about doing whatever's on that plan and then getting a pen and making a little check mark. I swear it's a dopamine hit, you know, making that little check mark. So it's all of those things combined. So it's the actual neurotransmitters that are happening from the exercise, the community, the sense of accomplishment, all of that together to me feels like I, you know, I needed those things to help improve my mental health. And it really has. Eventually I had been on, I'm not sure how many medications I was on when I started running, but I had gone at one point I was on six medications and um, now I'm on one. So gradually we were able to, we didn't, we didn't mean to, but we could see that I was on too much medication because I was running and it was helping. So, well, congratulations. so it's, it's huge. 
Yeah. yeah it's a, and not that there's anything wrong with meds. I mean, I take my meds because I have to, I take them because they keep me alive. I'm very careful not to say that running cured everything, mm-hmm. but boy, has it helped. Yeah. And it's amazing to have kind of that holistic aspect with the medical aspect coinciding and coming together, which really kind of makes that beautiful connection and pairing. What's interesting is talking about starting jogging for the 60 seconds, the community around running, going for the events. I'm hearing a lot of love for the results around running, not so much love for the running itself. And I say that because you might love the running itself, but what if someone is afraid to start running or maybe they don't want to endure the running because they don't like it, or maybe they're working a job they don't really enjoy, or they hate their job and they're just like, oh, I need to do this. How can we endure some of the things that we might necessarily not be a big fan of to get to those goals of the things that we actually want? Well, during any given run, there's always a bad time. The kind of the joke or the motto, not, but just a slogan maybe, is that uh, the first mile is a liar. Mm-hmm. So that first mile, your body's warming up, you feel crappy, and you know your heart and lungs are going, what are you doing to us? Even though they, you've done it before. So for me, it's being able to go through that, knowing that there'll be some points of joy. Because if there wasn't any joy in it, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I wouldn't do it. I was on a podcast interview a few months ago, and I finally told the guy after he said three or four times of all the things he hates, I said, well, maybe you're not a runner. Maybe you should do something else. Because that's the thing. You know, running is not for everybody. You don't have to run. But I do believe that movement of some kind is important. And that could be walking, it could be dance, it could be lifting weights. I mean, there's so many options. I mean, you know, there's just so many options, the whole Peloton bike thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe running isn't for you. When I ran, when I was much younger, I was actually sprinting and I didn't know that. But what I do now is a very slow, you know, zone two heart rate kind of thing on a regular basis. And the consistency really helps. Now about the bad job, if you can get out and get a a different job, I would do that. But I think the day-to-dayness of just showing up and doing your best with whatever you have, you know, that's kind of a lifetime attitude. I mentioned that I also meditate. And the thing that happens when you meditate, I, I meditate both while I'm moving and I also do sitting practice. One of the things that happens when you meditate is stuff comes up. Your nose itches and you're sitting there in a group of people and you're really not supposed to move. And so the suggestion is that you wait and make your nose sort of ask you three times before you scratch it. And a lot of times you can also notice what itch actually feels like because we're so used to just scratching the itch without actually experiencing it. And there's nothing wrong with scratching your nose, but we don't actually know what that is. Same thing with boredom. That's a lot of what people hit in running. It's not necessarily physical pain. It's mental pain of I'm out here for a long time and and I get bored. And so the meditative practice of bringing myself back to the moment and actually being in whatever sensations are occurring, being curious about them. And I would say with a job or a relationship, the same skill set will apply. Be curious about it. What is really going on here? What does this really feel like? Because we're so trained to 
just change how we feel. Just fix it. This hurts. Got to fix it. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But I think we can endure a lot more than we think we can, but we're not used to it. And it's, it's a skill very much like running. You know, when I started jogging 60 seconds, there was no way I could run a mile. I couldn't even run a quarter of a mile. I could barely walk around the block. And now I run long distances. I didn't do that overnight. That happens over time. So that same skill set of inquiry and concentration and being with what is can serve you anywhere. Yeah. What were some of the, I guess, changes in your life that you started seeing as running became more of a habit? I know you mentioned your, your husband kind of being more stoic at the beginning, like, oh, okay. But here you are going from the 60 seconds to the quarter mile to the mile to eventually a marathon. And through that process, what kind of changes were happening in your life that were kind of, maybe you weren't giving them the the credit then, maybe that came in hindsight, or maybe you were giving them along the way, but kind of the checkpoints that kind of verified like this, this running thing's paying dividends. Well, the biggest one was my mood was that I didn't need to take a nap every day. And the naps were as much for my emotional strength as they were physical. So yes, I was exhausted, but a lot of it was escape. And so I noticed that I would even lie down and wouldn't fall asleep and I'd want to get up instead. So that was probably the first thing. And uh, just to say a thing about my husband, he is my biggest fan. So as soon as he saw where this was going and very quickly realized, wow, she's got more energy. And of course, I lost weight too, which did not hurt anything. You know, that was a big one. But he saw that and and really, really, he just has been my biggest fan. The other thing that happened was my concentration improved, my ability to focus on things. I'd been trying to publish a book for many, many years. Part of it, I think, was I hadn't found the right story at the right time, which I think is what ultimately happened with Depression Hates a Moving Target. But my ability to do the work, to concentrate for the long haul, so the same kind of resilience, not that's not what I'm looking for, endurance that you build up in running long distances, it's very similar to what it takes to write a book, that long haul concentration of being in there, going back, going back, going back, and continuing to show up when it gets hard, which it always will. It, it doesn't matter what you're doing, it always will. That really carried over, that ability to just keep showing up and to focus on what I was doing and not get as distracted as I had been before and to not give up, to not, you know, just change projects. Cause that's what I would do. I'd go, well, we'll just write another one. Okay. Just write another. You know, I have all these books and boxes and files and that really carried over. And then I also mentioned before the isolation, the lack of isolation. So that feeling of connectedness, which I had had in another community, but there's something about the running community that's been very different with that, where I was much more willing to go and do things with people, which is before, maybe I'd have coffee with one person. I'm, I'm very much introverted naturally, but I'm also friendly. I mean, I like people. I just need a lot of alone time for recharging. And I didn't have as many opportunities to do things with people. And now I do. I mean, you know, we do all these crazy runs where we dress up for things and we raise money for charity and we, you know, we do just all kinds of stuff. And I wouldn't have ever done any of that. So that sense of community also has really the knowledge that that is something 
that I can do, that I'm not as socially phobic, I think, as I was. I think I was very socially anxious and that that has it's still there, but it's much, much better. Yeah. For some reason, when you mentioned the community and, and doing the events and raising money for charity and dressing up, I think of the turkey trot. And I don't know if yes. you've seen that that meme where it's like, if you're dating someone, find out if their family sleeps in and eats for Thanksgiving or if they wake up and run, because <laughs> that'll let you know what to expect. So I'm assuming you're the family that runs on Thanksgiving. <laughs> right, right. We do. My, <laughs> I'm the turkey trot crowd. <laughs> I, I love it. Hey, nothing wrong with the turkey trot crowd. I intend on joining you guys next year. Hey, we get pie. I'm, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and, and the Columbus turkey trot, you get a pie at the end of the, I mean, that's the prize. So really? get pie. Yeah. <laughs> so we hey. trot, then we eat. <laughs> I like that. Hey, make it worth it, right? <laughs> well, you've mentioned on, on top of the running that you meditate and the benefits that that's also given. And we, we've talked on this podcast a lot about meditating and the benefits that people can have from it. But I don't know if we've ever spoken about the duality of meditating while running. So I was going to ask if you meditate while running, you mentioned that you do. How did you start meditating and did it end up starting out while running or did it start stationary and then become something that you did while you ran? Well, my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, mm-hmm. I was, we were dating, it's been many years ago, already meditated and, you know, I kind of liked them. And so one day, this would have been a great pickup line, but he didn't ask me. He's he, one day we were, I don't know what we're doing. He goes, you want to sit? And I went, what? You want to what? And, <laughs> and so he explained that he meditates and he set the microwave timer for five minutes, whopping five minutes. Mm-hmm. So this was basically my first meditation instruction. He said, just sit still, notice your breath and try not to fidget. So that was my first, that's like meditation in a nutshell. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of thought it was a little weird, but I liked the guy. And so I would do it once in a while. And then eventually I had some other life things happened. And I realized that what he was doing was much more than just noticing his breath. I, you know, as you do it, you realize that. And so I started learning more about it. But yeah, it was primarily sitting practice. When I went to my first retreat, um, I think we went to a weekend retreat first. They did walking meditation. So that was the first time that I had done any kind of meditation intentionally while moving. I think people will pop into meditative states all the time while they're moving, but we don't know it. Or we might, it might be a peak experience. We're not doing it on purpose. So now it didn't take long when I was running to realize that I could meditate while I was running. And it's just the same principle of you choose an object of meditation, which most people do the breath because everybody breathes. And that's usually the first place the teacher starts, but it can be anything. It can be a sound. It can be something you see anything in the five senses and sense of touch, which is actually what the breath is. And so I pick one and then I decide, okay, I'm going to try to do this. Am I going to try to do this the entire run or I'm going to just do the second mile or something like that. So you pick up time period, which is the same thing you do in sitting practice. And then you get moving and you bring your mind to that object. And when your mind wanders, you gently bring it back. And it's actually the gently bringing it back that is, that's probably the most important part for me because I do have those very critical voices still from so many years of depression that that gentleness of going, oh, that's right, I'm meditating, as opposed to, oh, you idiot, you're supposed to be meditating, which would be an old voice. Mm-hmm. And just gently bringing it back. The remembering is very important. 
And so that's what I do for, you know, period of time. And sometimes I use the one I go to most often is the bottom of my left foot. I feel the sensations on the bottom of my left foot. I have no idea why. It's just a sensation that I feel often. It's very easy for me to go to. And so while I'm running, I just notice the sensations. And then my mind will wander and I'll be, you know, thinking about, oh, this podcast I need to record or whatever. And then I go, oh, that's right, we're meditating and bring it back. And that's it. It's really that simple. It's much more robust than that. But that's the basic instruction is just keep coming back. Yeah. And that basic start is kind of the barrier of entry that a lot of people are probably willing to do. As you mentioned, setting the timer for a whopping five minutes. We've had a guest before who mentioned they started meditating by one minute and just grew it through there. So oftentimes we try and eat the elephant right off the bat, but it's those small commitments like the jogging for 60 seconds that gets us in there and then starts growing into something else. So for the listeners, the watchers on YouTube, I encourage you maybe start with a minute, five minutes, if if you're willing and see where that takes you, see how far you can take it with that meditation practice even further. Let me say one other quick thing about that. Mm -hmm. You really can meditate all day long because what you do is you just find something that's a reminder. You know, there's apps you can get that have a bell that rings every hour. One of the things that I like to do is anytime I walk through a doorway, I just notice which foot went through first and it just brings me into the moment. So that idea that we have to be sitting or it has to be something specific, I think that that keeps a lot of people from doing it that could. That Now, sitting practice will build up your concentration and your the kind of skill set that it takes to do meditation. It, there's not much better than that, but it doesn't have to always be that. So yeah. I just want to throw that out there. No, no, I appreciate that because the doorway thing is definitely a great reminder because it's something that maybe a lot of folks, I'm sure, walk through a lot of doorways throughout the day, but to have that conscious reminder, that little intention of, being present and being in the moment. It's a practice. It's practice because we keep doing it with the outcomes that will come down the line. I mean, it's been clear of some of the impacts that running and meditation has had on your life, Nita, but with the book, you know, Depression Hates a Moving Target, what are some of the, I guess, some of the impacts that you're hoping folks feel from reading your story and kind of learning some of the benefits that that running might have to provide? The biggest one is if she can do it, I can. Mm. And I don't even mean running a marathon. I just mean if she can get out of this depression funk, deal with the anxiety and live a better life, I can. That's really the message. And if you want to run a marathon, that's great too. The book is sort of like a little bit of a training plan because it does follow my journey. And so I've had people say, Oh, I wish I'd read this before I ran my first marathon. So read it before you run. <laughs> but yeah, that's really the message. It's just a this is just an ordinary person who was in a really bad place. She found a tool, one of many tools in my toolkit running. And she took that tool out and made it work. So you can too. Oh, that's that's amazing. And I think it's something really important for folks to hear. And just one more time, wanting to give you the stage in terms of, I know there are people who look at any task that could be daunting because they might be in a depressive state right now. Maybe they're a recluse and not confident in public interactions, heading out and about. 
and they're just wishing they can just get a hold on something and get going in, in their lives. What would you say to that audience listening right now or watching that's kind of sitting in that funk? Something that I'm familiar with, as, as you mentioned, you've been familiar with, because I remember those days where, you know, those that tried to help didn't always help. And when I tried to help myself, it didn't help. And it ends up being either something clicks the way you hear it, or unfortunately you choose to to make the change because circumstances almost demand it. What would you say to somebody? Hopefully this could be the click for them hearing your words on taking that step towards the brighter future that we know that they, they have in store for them. Well, I think knowing that somebody has been where you are. So I felt so alone. And so if you feel that stuck, know that there are people that are exactly, you know, have been where you are and have made the change. My initial suggestion is to just, if you're on the couch, stand up Mm. or walk around the couch, get up and walk one lap around the couch, something that simple. Again, chunk it down. I teach writing too. And one of the things I tell people is to make goals so small that you can't fail. Mm. I mean, ridiculously small goals, because when you're depressed, you cannot imagine anything larger than that. So just a tiny, tiny goal, any kind of movement. We're fighting inertia. That's what we're fighting. We're fighting inertia. And so we just have to get it rolling. The other thing I will say, and I'm very, very serious, is find the number, and I really should have this memorized and I don't, of the suicide prevention hotline. There is a English and Spanish 24-7 suicide prevention hotline. And it even if you don't necessarily have thoughts or a plan, if you have ever thought, oh, I just wish I wasn't here, that's suicidal ideation. And those people can help you just by listening. They can get you connected with resources because a lot of times we get to a point where we can't actually help ourselves anymore. We need professional help. We need medication. We need outside help. And there is help available, but that's a call that you kind of have to make yourself. I, I have so many people who said, oh, I wish you could talk to my aunt or, oh, I wish my sister could. T-. And I mean, I can, but like you said, something has to happen inside. I watched my friend for months before I even opened the program Couch to 5K to see what the training plan was. Mm. I, and it had to come. There had to be a shift inside me. I just would encourage you to know that that shift is available and to be watching for it, to be open to it and not close yourself off and think, oh, this can't happen for me. Because that's where I thought. I thought, oh, this can't happen for me. This can happen for her, but this can't happen for me. Well, hey, it did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Nita, thank you so much for sharing that. And I know someone definitely needed to hear that. And the reality is I will have that number in the show notes. So folks can open it up. No, absolutely. And thank you for saying that. And also know that you know, the door is is right there and it's just one step, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be a huge commitment, doesn't have to be the change of the rest of your life. That is for another day. Today, just one step. That's all we need. Nita, how can folks connect with you, pick up the book and follow some of the work that you're doing? 
I was impressed. I still have more social media platforms I need to follow you on, on TikTok, <laughs> uh, Pinterest. I saw Twitter, all of that. And you're active on them, it, it looks like too. How can folks connect with you and follow you? The best way is to just go to my website, which is nitasweeney.com. There's also a free ebook there called Three Ways to Heal Your Mind that are the three main tools I use. You can get that. There's a link to buy the book. My editor, I love it. When I asked her once, well, what should I say when people say, you know, what the best way to get the book is? And they're like, wherever fine books are sold. So that's where you can get the book. But there's links on my website, nitasweeney.com. Awesome. And I love that advice because when people say, where can I listen to your podcast? I said, wherever podcasts are played. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll have those links in the show notes also too. So folks can follow up with you and get more of, of your wonderful writing and insights. So Nita, thank you so much for your story, for your vulnerability today and for everything you've done for us. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for the questions. It really it's just so important to talk about mental health. We really, we need to talk about it more and more. So thank you for allowing me to share your platform. Thanks. Absolutely. And I know our audience really did appreciate it. I'm going to recap some of the things you said along the way, just for folks that listen. I know that a lot of folks are busy in life and sometimes they're listening to this, maybe running, maybe jogging, maybe cleaning the house or driving. They don't always have a pen and paper handy. So I try and take the notes and recap some of the gems for folks. And I didn't die. I love that. That was the first thing I wrote down in terms of the sense of accomplishment. Uh, there are often times where we psych ourselves out and we look at what could be maybe a small accomplishment of going to the gym, but we turn it into this grand thing of having to get my sneakers, tie my shoes, get in the car, get gas on the way, go through traffic to get to the gym and sign up for a membership, find a trainer. I don't even know which gym to go to work out. We set all that stuff up when all we need to focus on is maybe tying the shoes and see what happens after that, the small accomplishments. And then when we do it, realizing, oh, I'm okay. Maybe I can take the next step farther. Community. We've said it before in terms of for so many of us, we come across problems in life, we come across hard times, or even sometimes we have our interests that we love to jump deeper into. But I've learned that our interests, our goals, our problems, our issues, they're not just our own. There are communities around the things that we experience and the things that we enjoy. And tapping into those communities can offer up so much richness in our lives, getting in-depth in the running, or maybe even getting some insight into something that you might be going through can all be found with communities. So I know it can be hard when you're feeling kind of like a recluse and you're feeling like you don't really want to interact with other people, but finding that community can actually provide what you're looking for in taking that next step and getting a little bit deeper. The first mile is a liar. I think a lot of us can have experiences in our lives where we think we got this, or maybe we don't think we have it, but then we figure out along the way, the, the true identity of what we're actually facing. So understanding, hey, the first mile is a liar, endure a little bit longer. And maybe what we always say, don't judge a book by its cover, finding out the true nature of what it is we're facing. Show up when it gets hard. So many things can get better in life if we decide to show up when it's hard, because it's easy to show up when it's easy, but true character is built when we show up when it's hard. And the doer way, the best way is, is by going into movement. You don't necessarily have to run, as Nita mentioned. She said, maybe running is not for you, but by leaning into movement, you can find your healing. And finally, if she can do it, if he can do it, if I can do it, if you can do it, maybe the next person can too. It's all about getting inspiration from each other 
knowing that there's someone watching us that we might not know, much like Nita was looking on social media, seeing this running thing is getting fun, thinking that was a typo. We are probably comparing ourselves to somebody else on social media, but we need to understand that the gifts that we're hoping for and some of the things we have in our lives that we take advantage is probably the gifts that someone else is hoping for too. So understanding that perspective and that reality of, hey, there is someone out there who would love to have the gifts that we have, the opportunities that we have, just like we would love to have others. It's recognizing that and putting that into perspective that can help us take control of our lives. Guys, we appreciate you making it to the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share this with a friend you know can get value from it. It would mean the world to us. And of course, leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing because the only way we can improve is from feedback from you. And if you love the podcast so much, you've liked it, you've shared it, you've subscribed, then you can also support on a monetary level by as little as $1 a month and subscribing to our Patreon page where you can get some extra content and hear some extra audio and video from the guests that we have like Nita and others. Thank you so much for making it to the end of the episode. And as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.